Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we talk about our favorite comic books and graphic novels. And on episodes like this, we talk to the amazing people to make them. Today, I am joined by Hassan Otsman Elhau, the Eisner Award-winning editor of Panel X Panel, the multi-award-winning comics letterer, the YouTube sensation from Strip Panel Naked. How are you doing, Hass? I'm good. Yeah, that's a really nice. That's quite a good intro. Did it, <laughs> it, did it feel real good? good? Yeah, it makes me sound like I've sort of done things, which I suppose is good. Your that's WWE walk-up song starts going off. You're strutting with your <laughs> chest up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it sounds nice. Yeah, it's good. So we got together today because you are on the cusp of your debut written graphic novel, the unlikely story of Felix and Macabre. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that book. Uh, for the people that haven't had a chance to read it yet, how would you pa- pitch Felix and Mac? It is a story about a uh, sort of young, nervous monster in a in a world of monsters. Um, and one day he sort of is stumbles upon the doorstep of uh, this big, grizzled, kind of like Clint Eastwoody kind of uh, monster, former wrestling monster champion called Macabre. And then they basically just kind of go on a journey together. Their lives become slightly intertwined and they go on a bit of a journey together to discover if, um, you know, beating up your problems and just punching things until they go away is sort of a healthy and good way of dealing with things. Yes. Um, I mean, that's pretty much it. It's, 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 uh, I think we set it up to be a kind of oddball, um, like, uh, I don't know, like Harold and Maud's kind of thing. <laughs> Not quite that, but uh, an oddball kind of uh, odd couple sort of um, journey. Uh, and I think you maybe read it and you'll maybe like the first sort of handful of pages, you, you kind of get a sense of where it's going on. And I, hopefully we kind of take you somewhere slightly different with it than you expect. Um, but it's, yeah, it's just a, it's just a kind of uh, mid-grade and up, I think, story about... Um, how to deal with uh it depends i think if you were a, i think if you were a kid and you read it you you what you're getting from it is very different than if you read it like if you were like an adult i think if a, if a kid reads it it's a fun story with really cool fun monster designs and fun world and a kid who's bullied that kind of finds some strength in himself i think if an adult reads it uh it's a much probably a more depressing story of uh um bad decisions in life and and what happens with those decisions as you get older i think but for kids you know i think it's a fun i think it's a fun re- I, don't, I don't think any of that is there for children because they don't have the experience i think for kids it's just like a fun monster book with juni yeah. juni bars like absolutely incredible uh character and world designs as well he is i really think you hit the the pixar stride perfectly where it is an incredibly fun book for kids i've handed i'm going to hand this to my little sister when the physical copy comes out and she's like, mm-hmm. there you go. Have fun with Felix. Come back to this in 10 years and tell me what you think of Mac because I'm <laughs> still thinking about him. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, you know, it's the originally it was born out of like, I mean the very, 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 very first like little nebulous of an idea was um, I'd made a, a wrestling documentary like years and years and years ago. And one of the through lines in that, that I thought was really funny was um, not funny, but not haha funny, but funny interested was uh, um, was uh, some of the, like these older wrestlers were talking about how they gave everything to be a wrestler when they were younger, right? They they missed like family occasions and and birthdays and birth of children and stuff like that because they were so focused on on be- making this thing a success that they were trying to do, and 
they look back at it and they were like, if I hadn't have gone to that show and I'd actually gone to that birthday, everything would have still been okay. Like life would have still probably worked out the same way, but it doesn't feel like that at the time. And then we were interviewing a bunch of people who were kind of like in their like 18, 19, 20, early 20s. And they were telling that story. They were like, you know, I'm just a wrestler. Like that's almost like what comes first in life is wrestling. And I, mi- I have missed these things. And maybe I haven't like had the best relationship because of wrestling, but it'll be worth it in the end. And it's fun to see the two, like the the, the dynamics of the dichotomy or whatever of those uh, of those things, where if you just got like one person, the older person to speak to the younger person and be like, look, like what seems important is probably not that important. Um things might be different and life might might turn out differently and i'm kind of obsessed by that i love like reading i love like reading like uh um you know like older people uh tell, giving advice i i'm i'm fascinated by people that are like 70 and 80 who are like this has been the important things in my life i'm fascinated by like i was quite i suppose it's quite um uh bleak in a sense but i'm sort of fascinated by um it was really interesting. It was really interesting. The Atlantic do a bunch of articles uh, mm-hmm. with like a happiness coach guy. I can't remember his name, um, but they're really, they're really fascinating. One of them was about how when people find out they've got um, that they're going to die soon, that they get uh, horrible illnesses, and they find that they don't necessarily have a long time to live. Your natural instinct would be the bucket list thing of being like, "Here's all these wild things I've always wanted to do," but actually, a lot what most people seem to do is they just want to do their regular life. They just want to like hang out with their family and go to their job and whatever, just live the normality of their life because that has some kind of value and importance. And I think it's really interesting to see what you think of being important and what ends up being important, but you don't know that at the time. I mean, that's the, it's the fun thing of life, right? Is you have no idea in any given moment, what is, what is, you don't have the, you don't have the retrospective knowledge that you don't have the, the, um, whatever the opposite of foresight is hindsight. <laughs> you, don't yeah. hindsight. you don't have the foresight to have the hindsight. Um, and uh, I mean, that sounds really boring because that's not really, that is kind of what part of the book is about, but also a lot of the book is about um, just getting, finding some inner strength if you are kind of nervous and, and anxiety prone. And uh, um, and that those two things are related, but also they, they exist, I think, in the book in completely different kind of spectrums that, people will get like you know people will follow different paths in that book um that's a really long-winded answer to a question that i uh genuinely cannot remember what it was now i've gone off on such a tangent no it was a very rich answer i i'm so fascinated by this idea of talking with people at the beginning and end of their wrestling career mm-hmm. I, I didn't know you did that that's really interesting i know i talked with juni about this a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. and he said this graphic novel is about 10 years in the making can you talk with me about that that in my experience doing these interviews that's a pretty long lead time on the coming together <laughs> of this project yeah, yeah you talk yeah. about me what what you did over the 10 years and it's, how you feel like the project evolved doing I that i think it's like seven it's not quite 10 but i think it's it's not a far off 10 it's closer to 10 than it than it isn't 10 um but the so in 2016 i you mentioned the strip how naked uh, YouTube series in the in, in the intro, but like that, I I'd been doing that for for a few months maybe, and I got an email from someone 
who said they were like a fan of, of Strip Pound Naked and they found it really like valuable in their, in their, I think, they just, I think he said he just graduated and that was Junie. So he sent me this email and he was like, I think like, he didn't say, I think I've just graduated. I think he said that he just graduated <laughs> and um, he didn't just sort of stumble through a graduation ceremony and unsure as if, if, if in a success, but he had just graduated and, um, uh, and he'd been studying comics or you know, illustration. And um, he said he found these videos really useful and I thought it was really cool. And uh, he wanted to send me some work. And so I, he just sent me some of his short comics. And as soon as I saw them, like, and this is like his early work, right? And as soon as I saw them, I was like, this, wow, that is, this guy's in, incredible. Yeah. And we, I just, I, like, I think I just, like, chatted with him a little, like, briefly. And then I, I like, I can't remember exactly. Uh, I should have, I should have uh, reread these emails and, re- and research for talking about this book. But, I can't remember if I just pitched him or said like, "Do you want to do like, should we do a comic together? Do you want to do a comic together?" Um, and it maybe was as simple as that. And we and we talked a whole bunch on on like Skype and stuff. And I think we found that we had like certain things in common. Um, we both were connected to you know French colonies in Africa, for example. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, we found I think we found we had like kind of similar similar aspects of like our upbringing stuff. We talked about and. And we basically we just like chatted a lot, and uh, we I had I, like I had this kind of really basic idea based on this kind of like wrestling story, and um, all we would do is I'd just be like, "What about this?" And he'd be like, "Yeah, well, what about this?" And um, he and then one day he like two days later he just like emailed me a bunch of monster designs that like, he's drawn like out of the blue, and I was like, "Well, that's that's incredible. That's got we've got to figure out how to get that in there somewhere," and. Um, with that, it kind of came about very, very organically. So I guess like that nebulous of like the the older guy and the younger kid uh, and their kind of combination travel thing. That was kind of like I guess that was like the original idea that I had. But it was it was about as loose as that. And I think I'd seen his his like in his short comics, he'd drawn these really cool like he'd done this like mech crab thing. Um, uh, I know this isn't visual, uh, but for the people listening, I'm doing crab <laughs> hands. <laughs> We've done this like mech crab thing, um, and I was like, this guy would be great at kind of doing like uh, not not he's not good at doing human stuff, but I was like, if I can give him just like cool monsters and stuff to draw, like that'd be really fun. Um, and yeah, that's how it worked. So we I, like I'd written five pages, and I'd written as kind of like our demo or whatever, and um, proof of concept or whatever. And I'd written, I'd written like fully scripted out, like like I was Alan Moore or something. Like I'd, I'd done these <laughs> like in dense, really dense panels and pages, um, like it was uh, you know the greatest thing ever written. And I'd re- sent him these five script, the five pages of script, and he sent back like I think it was like ten pages of comic art, and he was like, "This is what those five pages should be." And I was like, okay, sick. So we then, so then we had a conversation, and, I, and we were like, okay. I was like, what do what do you need from me to draw these pages? Like, what do you actually need? Because I don't want to be like, oh, this should be panel. You know, page five should be six panels. Um, if you're just if you look at it and you go, well, it doesn't need to be that. It should be like that. Should be two pages maybe, or that just needs to be a big splash or whatever. So I was like, what do you need? And we had this big conversation about like. What am I actually delivering for you? What is a, what is the, what is my value as a as a, a writer or whatever? Um, and what do I also need to get in there? Like, what do I what what gives me enough scope to get what I need in, and what gives you enough scope for you to do what you need to do with it? And um, we yeah we 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 just built this thing in a very unique way that I wouldn't you wouldn't do it normally. Like if you were writing for someone 
at Marvel or DC or whatever, you wouldn't, I don't think you'd write the kind of script that I gave him, but we'd found this really cool uh, collaborative thing. And anyway, so we did that. We, we had done a bunch of pages, like 30 or 40 pages. We pitched it around at the time, like, uh, not that we're like, I mean, Junie's a superstar, but like, not that, not that, uh, we're the greatest comic people in the world or whatever. But like at the time we didn't, no one knew who we were, especially. And that's always harder to get people to look at your stuff. And I think all that happened over the time was, uh, Junie just became, uh, everyone, everyone saw like what I saw in his work and what he knew he was when he was drawing, which uh, which is incredible. And I think all that changed over the time. That's the only reason it's taken so long. I think is that there was just, we just needed a bit of time for everyone to realize how great he was. Um, yeah. And, uh, and then people were, and then someone was interested and, and Junie presented this and was like, we, you know, we really want to finish this book. Like we'd love for this to be a book that comes out um, and get it finished. And then dark horse loved it. And they, they, they said, well, okay, let's do it. So it was kind of, you know, he, it was drawn in, in, in sort of sporadically over the seven years. Um, it was written, uh, the draft, first draft of it that was was written, you know, f- six years ago, whatever it would be, um, it kind of drawn in bits and pieces over over five six years, and then a mad dash at the end just to get everything <laughs> ready for, for to actually be finished and printed and, and lettered and uh, and kind of slightly kind of tweaked and stuff in the rewrite. But um, yeah, yeah. So it, it, I mean, it was seven years, but it was it's not like we were working on it solidly for seven years. Yeah. It was it was just bits and pieces, and then it was a it was a bit of the start, quite a lot of the start, bits and pieces, and then mad rush, uh, year seven, uh, and now everyone gets to read it, which is fun and stressful. I don't think you have anything to be stressed with. You like you said, Junie is an all star, and it's a very fun comic. I can't even imagine an origin story where Junie Ba before hitting American comics like a meteorite is like, hey, by the way, I think you're really neat. That. <laughs> That's quite a turn of a turn of luck for you. That's pretty cool. Yeah, well, he, it's just you know, it. I like I. I don't like my experience with doing strip bar naked is really just it's just like an outlet for me to like talk about the things that I find really interesting in comics. Same, you know, same, same, like with the podcast and everything, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's what we're all doing, um, and it's been fun over time to have. Uh, just uh, various people over the years have kind of reached out and said like this has really helped me like this has been the thing that has made me want to make comics and that's really like humbling to know that it's a it's it's got I don't know it's got some kind of like value it's been it's been interesting for people enough that it's it's helped them along the way which is about the best you could you could ever ask for in making anything um uh and Junie was one of the yeah I think he's probably the first person that had reached out to me I think at the time and was like this is actually like beyond just this, just being like a fun five minute watch, like this has actually genuinely kind of like helped me. Uh, and I think that was like kind of knocked me back a little bit. And um, I think that's probably why I reached out to him, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm assigning things retrospectively to, to what happened a very, very long time ago. But um, yeah, it was really, it's really nice to hear. And uh, it's, it's really fun. And he's, he's still now, he's still like, oh, I watched your whatever video the other day just because I needed help on something. I'm like, shut up. Like it's not it's, you I, like do you know what I mean he's yeah. he's just very nice basically he's just a nice person he is a really good guy um I think the thing I love most about strip panel naked 
and you can just let this inflate you a little bit. It feels like the one place where all of us consistently complain about how not enough of us are talking about the visuals of comic books. We all understand it's a visual medium. We understand that it's the artwork doing the magic here. And it feels like you're the person that's putting in the legwork to talk about this medium as a visual medium. I, I just think about your recent spirit video walking through Darwin Cook's establishing shots. Mm. And I was like, you're absolutely right. There is magic here. There is a reason we all love this guy's comics so much. And I just love that you take the time to figure out through the visuals why we all love these so much. And so I guess my question coming off of that, when you're scripting a comic book or when you're approaching a new comic book, do you find that you are visualizing how you want those panel layouts? Are you, I guess, is, are you seeing it more as like, stills and frames that you're putting together or does that come as you're working with the artists themselves yeah i think you have to like i mean uh, again I, this is gonna uh maybe it's a very british thing to sort of pre-apologize for the answer but like i think that uh, <laughs> like i'll pro- i'll be speaking in definites but obviously everyone's process is different but for me it's like i think what you're there's two ways to think about it and and not every page is i think for me most pages have fallen into one of these two categories which is Either I I know what the page needs to do, and so I have to want to translate that not necessarily visually, but just say like this is the like I'll put you put that as a preface like this in this page we just kind of need to get this information across. Mm-hmm. So is so what I did with Juni was I just kind of gave him the beats that I felt were necessary on the page, and I would break them down in a kind of similar way that I was trained to do for like uh, writing films, where you don't call the shots out in the in the script. Um, but what you're what you're doing is you're leading you're kind of like leading the mind with the way that you write it. So like you don't go oh in, in a non shooting script you don't go oh a close up of um, you know man walks into a room close up of hand on door handle you don't write like that. But what you can do is you can say you know the guy walks into a room uh, he grips the handle of a door and then swings it open. And in doing that, you're kind of inferring that like, maybe that's important. Like maybe that, and when you tell that story to someone, um, by, by making a point about the hand gripping the handle, that person who's reading it is imagining a hand on a handle and you're not calling out, you know, you're not calling out the close up, but you're, you're implying that maybe that, Hey, there's a close up shot of a hand on a handle, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of what you're doing as a, as a writer. And I think that's how I had kind of approached writing comics is that it's not, it wasn't, necessarily my job to be like this page should be six panels i mean this is what i tried to do first but then junie corrected me by being better than me but um it wasn't like you know six panels panel one should be this it should be a kind of low angle shot looking up at this it's like that's not really important because what what am i trying to infer if i did that what what be the reason of me doing that right like if i'm telling you that it should be a low angle shot why should it be a low angle shot the reason as to it being a low angle shot, I feel like is more important than calling it a low angle shot. So if it's about making someone look, you know, giant in the frame, like I'll just tell you that, right. It should be that like, so it's about inferring and like kind of emotion and the, the, the point of the moment I think is more interesting than telling someone what it should look like, because that is a secondary effect of the first thing. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the script I, I'd written for Junie was like that. So the, the two camps that, that I alluded to and then diverted from was camp one was like, 
you know, this page just needs to do this thing, right? We use this page we're using to explain this part of the story just because we need to accept that up for later on. Or it's a or it's a sense of like the emotional stuff. Um, what are we feeling as we go through the page? So there, there was there's a there's like a spread in Felix and Macabre where uh, a character called Amaret who you don't meet until a little bit later on. Um, and you basically we needed to establish like what had happened to this character over like 40 years or however long it had been and um we didn't also have a lot of time to do that like we didn't have like a spare 20 pages to do that so we had this spread and um i think in that spread i think probably all i'd written was something like i mean it's a beautiful uh i love that that set of pages and um i think all i'd written was like okay like the whole point of this spread is we need to somehow condense the history of this person <laughs> into like these two pages um in a way that has, still has nuance and stuff like that and i and i just threw a bunch of ideas for scenes that we could see um and i was like but it also we need to re- have the reveal of this character like that's important to to kind of like almost like you know pull the the cloth back i think it was it was written something like that and i think that's the fun that i have in writing comics it's probably not the best way to write comics for a lot of people uh, but in that sit- situation with junie just being being able to be like expressive and then try to paint a picture for him that he can then put down onto the page uh that's again i like I'm not very good at uh, succinct answers, as, as we all, as you'll find out as we go. But I think that's that's a fun approach for me because it's again I like I don't want to be I don't want to be the one that's that says uh, uh, panel one. And I get, I got this from like reading uh, the Alan Moore script on the back of Watchmen, which I find absolutely hilarious. Uh, yeah, nuts. and what's great about that as well is that so much of what he's doing there is just feeling, is emotion. Right? There's like a bit about him like talking about bashing his keys or whatever and then you look at it and what's been highlighted is like one sentence by Dave Gibbons where it's like <laughs> it's just a badge in some blood in a gutter it's like that's the stuff I need but the rest of it is still useful um but I didn't want necessarily want to do I, that to me doesn't feel like the right approach for my the way that I like to to work or think so for me it's about like well what are we harnessing we're harnessing the the, the visual skill of the of the collaborator so I'm just trying to I don't know I'm just trying to to paint a picture that they can that they can portray i that i'll be quicker with answers i I love it i was in that and i was like i know who i'm going to send this timestamp to i've got a friend that's working on a comic script i was like he's going to love this so don't rein it in you have a lot of interesting things to say um how do you feel like strip panel naked and the approach you take to breaking down your favorite comics has informed you as a writer and then a collaborator on comics. I think like, I mean, for me, like a big, like, I just love like learning how things work like that. Like that. I think that's really just the, um, like I use this pen and teller thing a lot where I like, I, I like, I find magic fascinating and, uh, but I love pen and teller and uh, like, I love the pen and teller, uh, cups and balls thing where they show you, they do the magic trick, the cups, classic cups and balls. And then they, switch the cups and balls out for like transparent cups. Um, and, uh, uh, and you can just watch the trick and they just do the trick again. And you can just see what they're doing. You can see every moment of the sleight of hand because uh, they're um, showing it to you. You can see through the cups. So when they like, oh, we're putting a ball into this cup, you're like, well, you haven't. And now I can see that there is no ball under there. And yet it's still like, a, it's still a mesmerizing uh, experience to watch because it's not at that point you realize it's not so much about the, the, 
the trick it's just the craft of the trick and like the craft yeah. of, of the trick is absolutely fascinating and so i love all that sort of stuff um so like unpeeling things and kind of like figuring out like with the process and the decisions that were made to go into a piece of work I, I like i absolutely love all that like one of my favorite things with lettering is to look at some old hand lettering and then like try and figure out like how to do that like how would i like how can i how would i do that um I love, like, I stole a, a thing from Stan Sakai of, uh, he, like, has little skulls um, when people die and there's, like, a little balloon and there's, like, a skull in it. And uh, I was like, oh, man. And I, I spent ages just trying to, like, recreate the skulls that he would draw because it's a very specific type of skull because it has to be deaf, but also it's kind of, like, still got to fit with his style. But mm -hmm. also, uh, you know, it's, it's, like, not grim, but it's not funny. And there's a real bat, and I was like, and I don't, I didn't master it, but I just drew a fun skull. But I spent ages just, I got like a page of all these skulls that I drew, and I tried to um, master the art of not grim, but uh, not funny. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just loved, I love, I love that process. And I think if you can do that, it makes you, hopefully, it makes you more intentional in your work. Um, and the intentionality is not like one necessarily one of those things that you, a reader or an audience is, is being like, oh, well, that was intentional, therefore it's better than this thing. But uh, I think if you're intentional, it just helps you have a greater control over the thing that you're trying to do, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Do you feel like you remember any of those clear cup moments really well, where the craft of a comic book stood out to you early in your comic book reading career? Um, that is a good question. I don't. I think the first. I think the first one where like I mean, Watchmen. I think was probably the first one where I really started to notice, like. Because uh, I think it wears a lot of that on its sleeve, you know, like yeah. some of the like the captions that will say something that will reference the visual that you're seeing at the same time and stuff like that. Um, like I think that was the first one where I was like, "Oh, this is you can see how intentional this thing is is built." Um, but then once you've done that, I think the difference is not that like other comics don't wear it on their sleeve, but I think the difference once you've spotted that, you can start to see. I think it's one of those things where you don't necessarily think about a piece of. Um, art that you're consuming, like a novel or or, or whatever, or, or a film or a TV show, whatever. If it's got you, you don't necessarily always think about the way it's been created. You don't even necessarily realize that it's been created. I think that's like a, a fun magic thing. Um, in the same way that like magic, when the, someone's doing a magician's doing a trick in front of you, you don't realize that you're being fooled. Like you don't realize that the, the thumb is actually just the thumb from this hand. Yeah. Um, yeah you're lost in the moment but then it's like you'll start to see it everywhere i think that's that that's i did a i did a degree uh my university degree uh time yeah. was um film production and that was one of the things that they just would beat unto us when we were there like you'd go watch a film and then you'd ruin the film because you didn't really watch the film you were like looking to see how it was lit or if you could tell uh you know thinking about the way it was edited or like how the music cues worked uh and that really ruined it in a fun way in a good way but I think that's probably part of also part of where that really started was was once I'd done that degree and started learning about how these things were made, you just start to see it the more and more things that you watch, the more films that you see, the more comics that you read, you're like, oh, okay, I can see how that has worked. I can oh it's interesting how they're ending that page on that image, on that panel, whatever. Um but it's not a fun way necessarily to, to read because you once you start doing that, I think it's really difficult. And I and I did I was like for a long time I was struggle to just enjoy things like just to yeah. just stop thinking about it and just try and sit and read it um which is an actual problem sounds stupid but uh it's also partly why strip found on such a long break was i was trying to rejig my brain to just being able to enjoy these things again yeah. um 
Uh, did that answer the question? I'm so sorry. <laughs> it absolutely did. I I feel that a lot. I, so I am in the midst of writing two novels, and right. they're in their end stages, and I I understand not being able to enjoy things anymore. Like you're <laughs> you're reading this thing, and like, oh, that was a really interesting punctuation choice there. And I was like, I wish I could just be caught up in the plot mm-hmm. again. And I think a lot of the magic is when you find someone who is truly adept, right? It does come back. <laughs> I I love reading Stephen King's books because he the things he's doing are so intentional, but he's also so entertaining that I forget to check why he's so yeah. good at it, which is also frustrating because then I have to go back and be like, no, we're trying to dissect this. We're trying yeah, to see yeah, what's yeah. going on. But he just sweeps you away. And well, that, I mean, that's the Penn and Teller thing. Like, that's the Penn and Teller magic. Like, they're literally, you know, in a sense, like, we're showing you how this thing works. It shouldn't be fun or magic anymore. And yet, to if you can pull that off and still trick someone into losing themselves in the work, even when they're not, even when they're trying to spot stuff, even when they're looking for things, like, that is incredible. That's a, yeah, that's a true. I mean, I do that with Watchmen every time I, tr- I try and reread yeah. it. I'm like, I'm going to reread it and really, like, look at this stuff. And then by, like, two issues in, I'm just, oh, yeah, I've just forgotten that. That's the reason I was reading it. I'll just back into. Who, yeah. who murdered him? Oh my God. <laughs> who was I, like, <laughs> I introduced a friend to Watchmen for the first time a couple weeks ago. She's mm-hmm. like, all right, I want to give one of these comic books a try. I've heard of Watchmen. I was like, all right, sure. We'll give you that one. Not the first one I'd hand you, but yeah, yeah, yeah. go for it. Have a good time. And it was so interesting watching her not only dissect the medium of comics, mm-hmm. but then the murder mystery as well. It's like, I don't remember the last time I thought about the murder mystery. <laughs> like, it's great. It gives you a gas to the story, but I forgot that that was part of what was going on it's here. It's a pretty, I mean, I don't want to spoil it for anyone listening, but it's a, when you find out, who, oh, it's a pretty big deal. I Yeah, I got to relive it through her. I was like, I remember melting my brain. Like, my teenage brain was coming out of my ears. Irreparable damage done. Yeah. By yeah, one I, Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. Well, I think the first time I read it, I don't think, I don't think any of the, the genius of it, where I think I was fully just like, who murdered this dude? Like, who... Yeah. Which one of these superheroes would have murdered him? And then there's—I mean, it's so obvious. Like, it's so—it's yeah. so unbelievably obvious. But for a while, you're like, is it Doctor Manhattan? Like, was it? Like, what? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know, man. He's not wearing um, any pants. That's got to be a bad guy thing to do. I don't know. That's a sign. It's a sign. I've never met anyone who's just walking around fully nude and blue that wasn't a villain. How did they feel? Was that like you saying that's the first comic that that person has read? It was their third comic. Like they'd read Mouse. They read American Born Chinese and then this. Okay, yeah. And that's like a that's like a introductory introduction to comics, uh, like an English lit course. I think. That's yeah, and that's exactly the approach here. That's exactly the approach here. I was like, yeah. do you want some of my cheeseburger comics? I like them too. And they're like, no, no, we want the elevated comics. And I was like, ah, oh, we'll we'll break you of that. And. She loved it. I mean, she wants yeah. more comics, so that's cool. It works. I don't. I feel like every time I've given Watchmen to someone that isn't into comics, they're always like, "I don't need to know any more about these things. This is, <laughs> this is like good enough." Yeah, it's just satisfied the fact that I don't. I know I don't like them. Thank you. Yeah, she was like, "It's surprisingly dense." She's like, "You wouldn't think with." the pictures it would be that dense and i was like that's how alan moore gets you <laughs> like i sat down with from hell once and i went that was harder than any novel I've oh ever yeah read. that's i mean that yeah 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 that is uh but also great it's brilliant yeah yeah yeah. i want to reread dense. it all the time and i'm always like that is a more ambitious dallas than i'm feeling right now <laughs> i reread it uh when it came i got the the master edition when it was like recolored 
mm-hmm. or coloured. And um, yeah, I read it like a couple of years ago, and uh, oh, it's so and it's it's very interesting in colour as well. It's very yeah, very, very different in colour, um, while also not being different at all because obviously it's just the exact same thing. But it's it's uh, it's good. It's really I definitely I'd highly recommend it. The, so, I, so you like the colours on it? I I've only read I'm black right. and white. Yeah, yeah, I really like the colours. I uh, I've read it like a couple of times in the black and white, and then yeah, I I've read it one time with the colours, and maybe it was just it was like enough time had passed to kind of see it with fresh eyes again. But it was it, it yeah, I really like I really liked it. I know it didn't get I know that it didn't have like a lot of fans the recolored edition, but I, I quite liked it. I think twenty twenty three. Do you know what I mean? Everything should be in colour. Come on, it's not the bloody when was black and white the fifties. <laughs> Points. I don't know. Uh, that'll be the poll quote of this. When was black and white? <laughs> Any black and white movie I see, I have to just be like, when was black and white? All of my memories are in color. That's all, as far as I know. I know <laughs> anything post nineteen ninety. I know is was color. I know that that was color. Yeah, they I, made I, the switch. I remember um, uh, telling my brother to watch uh, Twelve Angry Men, mm-hmm. and um, he'd sent me. He was like, oh, yeah, I am putting it on," and he sent me a message like two minutes in, and he went, "Is the whole thing black and white?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's from it's pre color times. Yeah, it's, it's black and white." <laughs> and then he just replied and went, "I am not watching it." And I was like, "Okay, fair. That's fair enough." And that's how I feel about comics. <laughs> yeah. No, you got it. Unless unless Stan Sakai <laughs> is doing it, I want some colors. Yeah, yeah. And even you know, even that's even been colored. Yeah. So <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't go for black and white comics. Perfect. That's another pull quote there. We'll put that on the front of Felix and Mac. I don't go for black and white it's comics. You'll notice Felix and Mac is in full color. Yeah, I mean, Intent. it's pretty intended. telling. That's part of the quality there. <laughs> We're not skimping on the colors here. Post-1990. It was made post-1990. Yeah, I mean, you got to look at Alan and be like, really? Pinching a penny, not paying a colorist, Alan. <laughs> I thought this was about creator's rights, Alan. <laughs> There you go. So that's that's that should be the title of this episode. <laughs> it's for creators' rights, <laughs> Alan. You're like, what? Why are they talking to Alan more? Well, he heard us. How did we get into black and white comics? I was looking on my shelf now. If I've got any black and white comics, I do. I do actually. I do. Yeah, I've got Scott McCloud Zot. So I take it back. I quite like them. <laughs> they're all right, I guess. <laughs> yeah, they're okay. Uh, returning to what you said about. Like seeing the juxtaposition of Alan Moore's narration and Dave Gibbons' artwork, I think some of the magic of comic books and a lot of what I love about Strip Panel Naked, the medium of comics, and you know this, but for the listener, the only one of the major differences is that it's static, right? Like if you're reading a novel, if you stop and just look at that page, the story goes away. Mm-hmm. If you pause a movie, the momentum and therefore the story goes away a comic book you can remove yourself and just look at that page Mm -hmm. and really see the nuts and bolts of what's going on on the page and so i'm curious for you someone who has spent so much time looking at that how did you go about constructing the page for felix and mac yeah it's like this is one of those things where it's uh i i in the original five pages, I so like that, that, those kind of like demo pages that I'd written for Juni, they were really like structured, re- super structured. Um, they were based around the grid. I don't think it was a nine panel grid. I can't really remember, but they were they were really like heavily gridded, and it was I was like really intensely like this should happen here, this, and it, that will flow into this picture. And uh, what I think part of the process is knowing 
that what you're doing is in collaboration with someone else, especially if you're not going to draw it yourself, right? And so that was part a big part of what I learned doing that was to un unravel being so prescriptive and being like, this is the way that this thing should look. And instead being like, this is the way that this thing should feel. And in my head, it kind of maybe like this could work, like doing it like this. But really, what's more important, I think, is uh, uh, is, is this feeling and, and, and this reason for this thing to exist. Like, this is what I, I, I kind of saying about, like, you can write it in a way where you're like, it should write, okay, so panel one should be this, because what we, it's going to... Uh, bleed into this panel and the next panel and the, the juxtaposition of those two things is going to be really important to suggest this or what you can do is you can say like this is what we need to suggest like this is the thing that we need to do and i'll leave it in your hands to figure out the way of doing that i was lucky in working with junie for this in that like norm so when i've written other things like uh you what you want to do is you want to give someone the framework i think that's a nice thing to do in in monthly comics is you want to give someone the framework and say like this i think this will work but if you've got a better idea do something else mm -hmm. what i did i didn't have to do that with juni because we would had so much discussion about this thing and so instead what i said was like this is what this thing needs to be like and it, on certain pages i had ideas like there's the there's the page where um, Felix uh, meets a bunch of um, knights who are made out of a big dog dragon saliva and there's a big page where uh, they're all surrounding him and there's like they all speak in, vis in like visuals they don't speak in words mm -hmm. and so there's a page where like all these balloons are all over the place and there's and this little Felix is cowering as he's surrounded by all these saliva knights and um, that like you know so every now and then I was like look I think this is just what the page should be like I just think this page should be him in the middle surrounded by these things getting crowded by all these balloons because well, it'll look like he's suffocating and other pages I was kind of like this page should feel like it's suffocating so like I don't know like what you want to do about that but this is what I think like maybe it's loads of little panels or maybe it's this or that so it's kind of like it, it's, it's, it's weird because comics is, is so strange because it is like you're writing a letter to someone else you're like telling a story i think that's a nice way of thinking about it is like that really the script is the way that i thought about it is me telling a story to juni and trying to trying to like write a story that he would would spark visuals in his head that he could then put on the page so it was in this case it's like it wasn't that i was like being the 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 like the the leader who is saying this should be in these in this in these boxes and this should yeah. be the picture, but like really just being like if I can tell you a story that paints a picture in your head, you're going to be able to retell that story in the medium that makes sense to you, which is comics for Junie. You're going to be you're going to be able to figure out like how do I tell how do I get this image from my head into the page, and I like his process is so much like that. Like that's exactly how he works. Is he spends so long thinking about. Uh, how do I tell this thing visually? Like how, like I've got this story in my head and if, if you see all of his like rough storyboards and stuff, it's so fascinating because his process is literally just that. And so I knew that the best thing I could do for him was to give him a visual story. Um, and so that's, that's essentially kind of how it was written. It's not that it was written like as prose, but it, it wasn't like a million miles away from prose. Uh, and it was, but it was still kind of scripted, but it was like really, yeah. I mean, really for me, that was the process. Like how do I make him imagine this story in his head? Because that, I trust him to be the best at figuring out how to get that onto the page. Is that does that make sense? Yeah. Do you feel like it is similar to with your background being in filmmaking? Do you feel like it's similar to the screenwriting process? Like, is that what you're drawing on the most, or did it become its own thing pretty quickly? 
it definitely became its own thing, but for sure, yeah, for sure, the the, the screenplay aspect of it was was heavy. Again, even in like a lot of like it's not there's not a lot of dialogue in it. Um, it's it's quite like uh, visual focused. I would like to think um, a lot of it is told in in like in in moments. Like there's a scene where Felix has breakfast with his his mum and dad, and uh, there's I mean there's some very clear dialogue in that scene, but there's also a lot of visual stuff that is told like the size of his parents compared to him, the way the way he like I mean I think a lot of this is from Junie really from that scene, the way he like has these little steps that he has to walk up to get to the table because he's so much smaller than the rest of his family. Um, there's kind of a moment where like someone reaches for something and and, and the 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 way the fist kind of scares Felix and stuff. So it's like a lot of it was trying to just paint pictures rather than rather than do it in words. And I think that probably helped in making it less wordy um, was thinking about the pictures. I mean, this is going back to your other question, I suppose. Uh, now I've talked myself around enough in it. But um, it, it's like it, it, you have, I think you do have to think visually for it, even if you're, even if like what I was doing where you're not actually dictating the images necessarily, like I still think you have to, you have to try and think visually. Um, it's strange to me. I think sometimes you do read comics where the visuals were not necessarily, don't necessarily feel as important as, as the words. And I, we took great pains to make sure that, that wasn't the case with this. Um, that when and and I think by doing that, it also makes, hopefully makes when we, when we do have a bit more dialogue in it, that it has a slight punch to it, um, but yeah, I, I think a lot of it was informed by by. I think a lot of it was informed by screenwriting. Uh, it was definitely, I would definitely say it was written more like a screenplay, um, with page breaks, uh, and and yeah, I don't know, but yeah, yeah, yeah. To answer to answer the question, yes, uh, yeah, but, but, <laughs> but it's but you can but you can only. I don't think you can do that normally. Like yeah. I think like when I was doing the magazine, you know, we interviewed a lot of writers, and so a lot of people are working on comics without necessarily knowing who's going to draw them, and that's really a, just a wildly different situation than we had. Yeah. Um, like, and so in that case, it's a lot harder to just to just feel like you can trust the instincts of the other person because you don't know what those instincts are. It's not not necessarily about trust, but just knowing what the instincts are. Like I knew what Junie would do because we spent so much time talking to each other. So I knew if I I knew like if I wanted him to draw like a monstrous angle or whatever, I, I kind of knew what that might be. And so it's much easier to be less descriptive and more visual in the, in the language that you're using when you know what that will translate to. It's really difficult to do that when you don't know what that will translate to. And I've written other things uh, where I didn't know who was drawing them when I had written them. And that was a so strange, uh, just a way that I wouldn't really like to work with <laughs> again. Yeah. Not that it ended up being bad. It's just it, it it becomes so much harder to to understand what you're making when you don't know who the collaborator is. And it's like it's different with it's difference with film, right? With film, it's weird because there's so many different people who are going to have input on that thing. You you might have a different director, but also there's going to be actors that are going to bring something that you have that's just like a wild variable that you'll have. It'll be impossible, even if you were writing a role for I don't know, let's say. Um, I don't know, Clint Eastwood, because he's uh, connected to Macabre in a sense. Even if you're writing for for Clint Eastwood, and you've got a sense of his of his presence. 
he might just turn up having like read a weird thing in the paper and thinking that'll be a cool thing to imbue this character with and turn up and just do something like wildly unexpected. And so a script is so, so much a film script is like making a film is just this strange, uh, uncontrollable process. Comics are much more controllable, especially when you know who's going to be drawing them. But in a sense, and I'm talking, this is Dallas, this is going in a weird, in a weird place. But in a sense, it's really difficult if you don't know who's doing it because then it becomes wildly uncontrollable again. And the only process you've got is to try and control it as much as you can in the script. And uh, to come back around to my original point, the fun thing with Felix and Macabre is I don't have to do that. Uh, I did it for the original five pages and then, yeah, I didn't have to do that ever again. I know I feel like I'm, I'm this is like a, just my brain dump that's happening. <laughs> it's, <laughs> this is I mean, this is a weird and insane uh, podcast of where you, I'm just dumping things that are in my brain out. Well, it's just so clear that you love comics and that you've been around them enough to talk about the craft. Like, I this is one of the most interesting interviews I've gotten to do. So don't feel well. Bad. It's, it's I have not. I mean, you could, you might be able to piece a few interesting like nuggets out of some of that. <laughs> I, I'm definitely, this is definitely in a. I'm going in a strange, strange place. So I do want to pick your brain about comic book lettering mm-hmm. because your lettering is phenomenal. Lettering is something that we are not talking enough about as a comic book community. And so when you are handed someone else's script and you get to be the letterer on that, what does that process look like? Like, how do you decide on how you're going to letter that? Do you get pretty strict notes on lettering? Are you given a lot of freedom how, again, we're talking about looking at the page, when you're looking at it as the letterer instead of the script writer, mm-hmm. how is that difference? What are you taking away from it? How are you trying to present it? Yeah, I mean, lettering is just weird, like super weird, because it is that weird thing of like, it's visual, but also uh, te- textual, <laughs> pro- prosaic or whatever, however you... And, that's, and also that's different for each writer. Like some people write it really... Uh, I used Deck Shalvey's like Irish um, dialogue as an example recently. Some people write it really performative, like they're writing it like it like it would sound coming out of someone's mouth. And some people are just writing it almost like film scripty, where you're writing it more more like proper or direct, and allowing the reader to kind of build the voice. So even down to the, just the different inclinations of the writers is weird. Um, but for me, like the process should really be about. Looking at the project as a whole, are we doing a horror story? Are we doing like a fantasy? Are we doing a kid's book or whatever? Um, I love that kid's book as though it's his own genre that can't contain anything else. Um, and then you also got to look at the art and be like, well, what's the artist doing? Because if I do something wildly different than the artist, it's going to be weird. So you're, you're, you're kind of trying to get the sensibilities of the script and the project as a whole, but also the, the kind of like visual aspects of the, of the art. Like what have, have, has the artist used like a, like a thick and thin brush or like a, like a really strict kind of like, uh, mono thickness brush or is it gritty does it like bled into the paper a little bit do you want to replicate that in the balloon anything to make the balloons kind of as seamless and integrated into the style of the art as possible uh is is i think important um i mean there's like the general stuff right does it do the tails point to the right person are they in the right order does a page read you know, le- norm- normally, like it's not confusing or whatever. Like, but that I figure that's all for granted. Like that's all the basic stuff that you should just be doing. Um, but then uh, beyond that, it's kind of like how do I integrate that into the project and the and the and the, the artwork of the artist? So that 
in a sense, I mean, I don't, you don't really think you can do this perfectly in digital lettering, but in a sense where someone looks at it and thinks the artist could have just drawn those balloons or like that, that's still kind of the artist using, the artist has handed the same pen or whatever over to the letterer to do that. Um, and that comes down to the font choice and everything like that. Just try and make it look integrated. But then I think for me, like the fun of that then is like, why am I doing it? Right? Like what's, why have you got a separate letterer in and why aren't you just like, you know, because this is in a, in a in a sense, this is a job that could just be done by like a production artist. Mm-hmm. Like you can just like I could teach you how to letter a comic book in like an hour, and you could probably just go and letter a comic book. I think I think without uh, denigrating uh, myself <laughs> or my colleagues too much, I think I could teach you how to basically letter a comic book fairly quickly. I don't think it's that complicated. But the question then is like, but why do we use a separate person to do it rather than just get the artist to do it or whatever? Like, what? What's there? Must be a reason as to as to that beyond just time. Uh, and it's like a sound. It's like a it's like a good sound recordist in a film to keep using film references. Like, why would you not just like have the director hold the boom while uh, the film was going on? But it's because they've got like an intimate knowledge of their craft. Ideally, uh, and I think that's ideally. I think that's what we should have as letterers as well as a, as a knowledge of what will work and what we can do to dialogue to make it sing. And so I think that's a, that's like a part of it that I really see as like a fun, fundamental part of the job is okay. In this scene, this person is like saying something, but then they want to shout this line, and or they want to they want to hold this little bit back, or um, or maybe just what they're doing is uh, they're just confused, and do they need like a Maybe, maybe it might be nice to stick like a question mark in a balloon next to them. Or like maybe this little bit under their breath shouldn't be in a balloon. It should just it should just be in the air between these characters with a little line to signify who's saying it. And like that's I think that's a really valuable part that uh, maybe don't talk about enough is you as an artist to be very I don't like saying these things about your own work, but like to think as though you, uh, to be an artist as your and use this as your craft, as your your medium for the art uh, as lettering. And I don't know. I don't know. I, I like. I, I don't know that we necessarily need to talk about it more, but I, but I think that is a big part of it that maybe people don't see is is not everything that you see on the page that a letterer has done. In my case, anyway, I, I don't know how other people work. I'm quite bad at doing this of changing things or just adding things. Um, but it's the thing is as well, it's like it's a digital medium. So if, if I add something and you think it's awful, I can just take it out, it's fine. Like it doesn't, it doesn't take very long. But maybe I can be additive in the experience. Um, I was talking to Matt Rosenberg about this recently because we do What's the Furthest Place From Here with him and, and Tyler Boss. And uh, he was talking about like that I had added, and I don't really remember much of this, but he, he said that I added like tons of jokes and um like little stupid balloons in the background to characters and things like that that just aren't in the script that i was kind of like in the moment you're like that kind of be fun to have that in there and not everyone's going to enjoy that right i've had many occasions where people have been like don't please don't do anything that i haven't written uh in the script (laughs) and don't don't change anything uh to be bigger or whatever and that's fine that's again that's just part of the process um but i think part of what you want to be doing is like act, just saying to yourself like beyond the basic elements of lettering like what can i as hassan bring to this work why have you hired me rather than hiring a different letterer um again dallas like i'm just going i'm you like i'm apparently ready to speak today like i've been <laughs> <laughs> i'm prepped to go off 
I think that's what's happened. It's because we started out talking about Texas sports. <laughs> that's what got you going. <laughs> so, did that kind we, of hit? Did that hit anything for yes. you? Yes, <laughs> yes, it absolutely did. So, what? Who is on your lettering Mount Rushmore, mm-hmm. and why did they impress you? Like, I know Stan Sakai is incredible. I know Todd Klein is incredible. Yep. But I, just as a student of comics, I would like to understand more of who to look at and what to be looking at. I, well, I, I mean, the, a, a big one that you'll have a lot of letterers talk about is Gasper. Um, and he did, uh, I mean, I, I guess kind of what you'd argue is his like magnum opus is the Arkham Asylum book. I've been looking at that a lot recently for Chris Ward's uh, new Batman City of Madness book, um, which we talked about that as a big reference point. And that's a really incredible bit of work where, uh, like, it's one of those things where it's difficult to replicate in today's world, sort of trying to do it in his book, but sort of replicating that because it, it, it's, it is so much of it is drawing, right? And, and, and the, the skill of digital lettering and, and hand lettering is, re- it's really quite different. Like, hand lettering is a lot more drawing. And I, I try and do more of that. Like I, I'm trying to build that more and more into my process of like having more drawn elements, having a lot of my sound effects are drawn and stuff like that, and thinking of it more as drawing. But at a certain point, I'm still just using fonts, right? <laughs> so it's not um, there's, there's a limit to what I'm drawing. Um, but yeah, Gaspar Saldino, and I think um, any of the any of the hand letterers, like I really like going back through the Marvel uh, in the Marvel Unlimited app. And looking at like old Marvel books and just skimming through like the hand lettering. Um, Joe Rosen's really cool. Um, and seeing sound effects. I mean, my big thing is that like I love looking at hand lettered sound effects. Um, to, in today's world, I think what's interesting is finding that bridge from digital, from analog to digital. I think like my, the guy that like got me into lettering, I guess, when I started was the Ditchy Bidikar, who has lettered a whole bunch of incredible things. And I think he really has paved the way. Uh, for getting people to think more creatively about lettering in the digital world, Todd, I mean Todd Klein's been doing that for a long time. <laughs> like that's, I t- he's been killing it. Um, and Clem Robbins, I think, has a really interesting thing to look at where his uh, there was a transitionary point between digital analog and digital. This is what happened, Dallas. Is that now I my brain's gone? Oh, you should talk about this uh, fun transition from hand lettering to digital lettering, um, uh, where. Some letterers were like, "I'm just gonna, I'm gonna letter completely differently. I'm the real. I'm just basically gonna treat it like it's a different process." And some people were like, "What I want to do is recreate what I was doing as a hand letterer, as a digital letterer." And Clem Robbins is absolutely fascinating to look at. Like, look at a recent Clem Robbins book, and then look at a hand lettered Clem Robbins book, and it's it's genuinely quite difficult to tell the difference. He's got this incredible bit of font software. Um, if you call font a, a font a bit of software, probably not. Um, where I mean, I think it's got. I mean, he's got, I think he's got literally like hundreds of ligatures, like tons of versions of his E's and his A's and his S's, so that nothing really ever replicates in any way that your brain would ever notice. Um, and he's captured his hand lettering in this. In, I mean, genuinely should be like in, a, in a, like an art gallery at some point. His that font, it's a, like a genius bit of work. Um, and that's that's what Todd Klein did too, right? Todd Klein figured that out. Like, how well, how do I do what I was doing, but digitally? Whereas what I what I think is a strength of digital for me personally, because I'm not, I wasn't a hand letter is being so uh, <laughs> varied and being able to do a million different things. And that's kind of what I learned from, from Aditya and people like Russ Wooten as well. Um, who I think is really, really good. Um, I, like I think, I think most letterers uh, are great. And I think what's fun is noticing that transition from 
hand lettering, which maybe people didn't even think of as being a big deal at the time, but is genuinely an incredible craft on its own. Um, and that transitionary to digital, where I don't think there was a ton of really good digital lettering for a while. Uh, and then this kind of push to being able to understand digital as a tool uh, to do creative work rather than just a tool to do standard lettering. Um, and I think, I, like, I, like, I will... I believe it to be in that kind of Russ Wooten and Aditya as two major figureheads in being people who sparked, to me, sparked that like that change. And I think if lettering exists still as a thing in 15, 20 years, I think a lot of what you'll see, hopefully, I think a lot of what you'll see will owe a, lot, a massive debt to, to those two and a few others who who were really pushing that kind of idea and that, that, that creative digital craft. Um, that wasn't, uh, I don't think that was a question you asked me, um, but I think it's in there one. was an answer somewhere. <laughs> I'm not going to end every question, uh, every answer. Like that. <laughs> but uh, I think, I'm not great at answering these things, clearly. I think the thing for me with digital lettering, when it's the most impressive, is when it feels like it could have been on the board, right? Like you're talking about, I think the only time... And this is a terrible thing. And I'm sure this is a frustrating thing to hear as a letterer. There are times, the most often times that I notice lettering is when they've done something really creative and interesting, or when it's like, oh man, that looks like that was just pasted right on top of the art. Like that <laughs> that does not sink into the page at all. And I think a lot of what you talked about with line weight and making sure to match just the overall aesthetic of what's going on in the book <laughs> is incredibly interesting because at the end of the day, you're trying to blend in while also standing out. And I feel like no one else is doing that on the comic page. Everyone I, well, else is like, I, I think everyone, I think everyone say. else, well, I think everyone else is doing that. There's, okay. I think there's like, not to, uh, I don't want to have a fight, uh, between the two of us, but <laughs> I think like, I think there's, I like, I like, there's this adage of like lettering, good lettering is invisible, right? Or lettering mm -hmm. should be invisible. And I think that's like a, I think that, it's such a strange, I can't, I'm not even really sure where it came from, but it's such a strange idea because anything should be invisible until it shouldn't be invisible. Like yeah. the whole point of, like if you look at comics coloring, for example, you'll find a million instances where a panel will just be red, like out of, like a background of a panel will just be red now because it's like a strong moment or like someone got stabbed or something and the panel changes to red or like the panel just blacks out or like, or, or a body exists in white space, right? And we don't get people be like, oh, art should be invisible. Like, why am I not? Or like, why is the background gone? Or like, yeah. why is this, why is this suddenly gone to this expressive red background? Like, you, everything should be kind of blended in until you need to make a point. And often in lettering, I, fe I feel like, obviously I would say this, but I feel like, you know, there is often, quite often, points to be made <laughs> in the things that we're yeah. doing. Like if someone shouts, you kind of need to read the shout balloon, otherwise you don't know it's a shout balloon. Like you, you kind of need to realize that there's a difference in that to everything else. Um, and so I think it's all about like baselines and and then elevating the baseline or, or pulling it down. Like if that, if, if, my arm, uh, I keep forgetting we're not in a visual world. My arm is 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 uh, level. And so that's standard dialogue, right? And then you, you you jump up for a big shout or whatever, or maybe you pull the the, the, the size down uh, for a little, a little whisper or whatever. Um, but we're doing that, and you're doing that so that it gets noticed because it's important to get noticed. Because if it isn't noticed, then, then there's no point in you doing it. Like the whole point is to be noticed. Yeah. It's a difference between being noticed to where you put the book down and you like 
walk off because you're so blown away by what you've just seen that you, you, you can't physically read the comic anymore. Like, that's probably not good. Um, but enough that you, as you're reading it, you're like, oh, yeah, that in your, you know, subconsciously in your head, like, oh, he's just screamed that at that person or whatever. Or like, oh, he's whispering that for you to understand that. So you have to notice it. But that, we're all doing it, right? Comics, I mean, someone bursts out of a panel, you have a bleed panel. I think I think that's not, I mean, I think that's noticeable. Or sort of like a daredevil, that's a person, jumps out of a window and in that splash page of him or like that page of him jumping out, like he's broken a panel border for the panel below or something. Unbelievably bombastic. But we don't, I think, I think we just, for whatever reason, like I think this idea of invisible lettering is stuck around to the point where like anytime you might notice any bit of lettering, it's suddenly like everyone's aghast at the idea of that. Um, whereas comics, the whole point of, I mean, comics is, to me is like theater. When you go watch, when you go watch like a theater play, the acting tr- typically is so much broader than what you might see on film, uh, because you're you, because you have to reach out to a much bigger audience uh, who are seeing a smaller thing. So you, it's difficult to be incredibly subtle to someone who's sat like fifty rows back. They're not. They, they need. To, they need to understand the, the moment. And comics, I think, is a little bit like that because you don't. You don't have the motion of nuance. You don't have like the the film where you can watch Ryan Gosling kind of like wrinkle his eyebrows a little bit in a moment. You don't have that. So you kind of need to point these things out to people as they're reading. Um, I, I, that was me just getting hetted, hot, hotted up, het up, Yes. But yeah, I think I think all I think everything is noticeable, uh, yeah. like when you want it to be. I think I, my 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 constant example of that is, I, I mean, literally almost every single superhero action comic you'll read will have a panel where the background is not what it should be if if it's not meant to be noticed. It'll yeah. be red or whatever or whatever, or or someone will bust out of a moment. It's like the whole the whole point of it is to notice it because if you don't notice it, you don't understand what's happening. And that's think- my that's my TED talk. <laughs> No, and you're absolutely right. I think so much of it is subconscious because I didn't realize I was doing it in my own way with my novels until people that don't read comics started to read it. And they're like, why are you changing the font size for this? I was like, well, it helps you know that he's whispering. They're like, that yeah. doesn't happen in novels. And I was like, oh, yeah. Oops. That's cool. Oops. Comics. Are... I was like, it should. It's like, yeah. comics are right. That He's yelling now. And you know, he's whispering now. And you know, we get used italics for everything. Well, there's tons, of, yeah. There's tons of stuff like that. I mean, like, I like Cormac McCarthy's books, right? He doesn't doesn't really have commas in them. He doesn't really he use doesn't much punctuation. Yeah, that's crazy. Kind of full stop. Almost all he uses, and it's like that is there is that's so. I think when you if you've just never read a Cormac McCarthy book before, I think you I think you notice that when people try and talk, and there isn't quotation marks, you're like that's that's weird. There is this kind of intentionality to it, um, but just because just like I think intentionality is noticed uh it's just a question of if it stops you from reading it i mean but ultimately that's the thing like you, you, it's impossible to even quantify that because i love Cormac mccarthy i passed a copy of a Cormac mccarthy book to my friend hated it hated it with a handful of pages am i right and he's wrong yes. sure sure you could <laughs> sure you could you could make that argument <laughs> and i wouldn't stop you but at the same time it, it doesn't you know it doesn't it doesn't matter because he's still just never going to read a Cormac mccarthy book again so it, it's like something that i like i'm sure that I, like someone might read my lettering and be like i hate that guy's lettering i don't want to read the books that he's worked on and that's fair enough you can like that if that's the the response i'm sure that i'm i'm I guarantee i mean i know that for a fact that that happened so it's fine um but <laughs> It's still like I'd much rather still be kind of trying to uh, trying to do something valuable within the work 
than just say, I'm just going to do my bog standard lettering across the whole thing uh, because I know it's fine and I know it works. And I know it doesn't get in the way. But by doing that, by not getting in the way, you're also not really involved, right? You're not you're not really adding anything. Um, and that's what I kind of, I don't know, I just want to be additive. Like I, I remember saying this to someone recently that I worked with on a book and I was like, I just want, there has to be a reason why you asked me. Like, why did you ask me? Because I'm not, I'm not the cheapest person to hire. Um, I'm not, I can't get it to you the fastest. <laughs> so like, what, what's the reason why you, why, what did you want from me as to picking me to do it? And it's being involved, it's that process of like adding, adding to the work and being a part of it. Um, and so that's all that I'd like, I just try and keep that as my philosophy or whatever in my, the forefront of my mind as I'm working. That also wasn't your question, Dallas, but I just I just answered that as though it was the question. <laughs> this is great. I, is. I'm I'm just wildly going off on my own tangents. This it's is the Wild West in here. <laughs> <laughs> I I think my last question for today will be when what is the most recent example you can think of of some lettering that really impressed you? Either you can say your own work, you can say one of your peers' work. That you just went, wow, that's some incredible bit of lettering right there. Imagine if I said, imagine if it was just me. <laughs> that would be <laughs> the hardest thing anyone's ever done on this show. If you're like, yeah, uh... <laughs> it's. Um, I was reading. Uh, I was reading a book called Thieves by um, is it Kate Bryan? I think. Um, okay. I'm just gonna. You're gonna hear the sound of me tapping uh, briefly because I really want to get uh, the cartoonist's name right. Um, so sorry for people listening. Uh, oh, Lucy Bryan, not Kate Bryan. I think I was mistaking her with um, Kate Beaton. Kate Beaton, yeah. yeah. Not, She's not, been all, not... on all of our minds. We've yeah. all been reading Ducks. Um, yeah, but Thieves is Thieves is this really, really incredible, incredible comic. Um, stunning cartooning, like genuinely brilliant cartooning. Um, and there are so many clever bits of uh, word balloons like and, and the sort of stuff that you only see cartoonists do and like this is like a big i mean i, I really feel like this is like the thing i want to do next is somehow convince a cartoonist to let me let that work even though it will be a downfall to them um <laughs> it'll be a lot of fun for me because i think fun thing with the cartoonist is is that they're and talking you know going all the way back to junie like junie does this a lot in his own work as well where they're in like full control of what they're doing. And so the, the lettering is a vital part of their storytelling process. It's not just like a conduit for words or whatever. Uh, and then in Thieves, there's a ton of really clever moments where um, like people will be saying something in a tone and the whole balloon will shape and shift uh, to express this. Like the style of the words will be like dripping and stuff. And like, it's, it's the sort of work. I mean, like I, I devoured the whole book in one, in one go. Uh, I tell a lie. I devoured the book and then fell asleep and then read the rest immediately as soon as I woke up. And then and now I went straight back to it and just started taking little photos of all these little bits of lettering just for a little inspiration board, inspo board, you could call them. Is that a thing? Um, and uh, I was just obsessed by it. And I, I always love like I always love like the, the cartoonists lettering themselves because you do see more. I think you do see more uh, like risks being taken, like like. Uh, things tried um because it's like baked into it's baked into their work as, a, as, a, as an approach i love that it, it as i'm saying it, it's made me think of um uh, squire the uh, novel that sarah mm-hmm. Nadia did a few years ago uh and there's a real like something i absolutely loved in that book and this was it was digitally lettered but there's a thing that sarah did in it where uh 
a bunch of characters, like four characters who are away at this kind of like military camp thing. And they write letters home to their to their family across this one chapter. And the style, the the fonts that were chosen and and just says so much about the character of the person that's writing. Like there's the guy who's from like the rich family where he's stressed that his parents really want to do well. And it's this really formal, like calligraphic font. And you it infer so much from the compared to the scribbles of this other character who's kind of like way more like informal. And I think that's genius because it's like the book doesn't say that. I mean, it does say that, but the book isn't like, look at how different these fonts are. Isn't that interesting? But you read it and you're like, oh, what? Like, I get what that person. I get the situation that person is in based on those those the font choices for their handwriting. I think that was a really really lovely uh, thing. Again, that where like the lettering was intrinsically baked into the to the story to the narrative approach of that thing. Um, anything like that? Anything like where the lettering is is is, is vital to the delivery of the story, I think, is is always interesting. Yeah, Thieves. I was I mean, Thieves as a comic, it was just was just great. Um, but the lettering Thieves was just like sublime. I absolutely loved it. That's really good. I, I'm gonna go check it out. I yeah, read that I one. Highly recommend it. There's also a phenomenal scene, like right at the start of the book, where this character's like silently sort of infatuated with this other character. And they turn around. I think they like turn around and like look at them or something in a classroom, and the page just turns into this like uh, like tsunami wave of just like crashing over them. This moment, it's beautiful. It's just so funny. It's so cleverly done. Um, it's just like if you like comics, like it will just make. If you're like, oh man, I haven't read a really good comic in a while, or you're like, comics are okay, but read that and you'll be like, this is incredible. This medium is insane. I love it. It's really like. I mean, I love comics already, but I was reading that and I was like, this is blowing my mind. I could, like, it's so exciting to read something that makes you excited again. Even yeah. after years and years and years of staring at panels and stuff, I was like, this is great. Absolutely phenomenal. I love that. Um, do you have any last things you want to make sure that you say or plug before we get out of here? Um, uh, uh, there's 70 issues of, of, of Power by Power magazine that you can read. Uh, at um, panelxpanel.com uh, or gumroad.com slash panelxpanel. Um, you can watch the Strip Panel Naked on YouTube by searching for Strip Panel Naked. It's the only thing called that. Uh, it's <laughs> hard, to, hard to miss. Um, I don't know. I've got, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't I just a lot of different comics that come out every month. So I don't really know what to plug, but um, I'm, I very much enjoy sort of 99.9% of the things I work on and that 0.1% is self-inflicted. So um, I'm pretty, I feel like anything that I've worked on, I'm pretty happy to recommend. Um, the uh, And Felix and Macabre comes out uh, October. And I don't know when this is, when this will be out. Uh, Probably two weeks. In two weeks. So Oh, so there's still, yeah, you've then in, in about two weeks after this comes out, October, I want to say 24th. That sounds right. Could be the 25th. It's in the mid twenties of October. <laughs> um, by Halloween, 20s. by Halloween, it'll be one hundred percent. It'll be out by Halloween, um, and I think that's. I don't know. I think it's. I think it's. We think it's good. We're pretty happy with it. Yeah. Um, also, hopefully, by this point, the Rangers will be Texas Rangers will be deep in the playoffs, but we'll see. Um, and the Cowboys will have recovered from Trayvon Diggs's injury. So I don't know, like, you know. What, one of those might be true. If not the Cowboys <laughs> one. <laughs> We're living in a, a hopeful a hopeful future at some point <laughs> when two weeks when this is out. Um, do you Have you got anything that you want to plug? 
Um, I mean, yeah. If you like this interview show, please go back. Continue to listen to our interviews. We just had Daniel Warren Johnson on talking about the amazing things he does with Transformers. And we will see you back on our regular show on Wednesday. Thanks, everybody. Bye.